This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. On coming to the house, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. King Herod, who we've seen so brilliantly portrayed on stage, is in many ways the villain of the Christmas story. But Herod, like, like all villains, has a backstory. Herod has a backstory that sheds a bit of light on the behavior we see in this passage. See, we know, don't we? We know how the Grinch became the Grinch, if you've seen the film. A few years ago, Disney enlightened us about how little Ella became Cruella. And just earlier this year, we discovered how Coriolanus Snow became the president of the Hunger Games. Herod himself, the villain of our Christmas story, has a backstory too. So how did Herod become Herod? What is the backstory to the behavior we see in this passage? Why does he become so threatened when he hears about the arrival of a That he's so threatened, so jealous when the Magi come to worship at the manger. Why is that? Why does he become secretive and manipulative and ultimately destructive? How did Herod become Herod? I hear you say. Well, let me tell you. See, Herod is a Greek name and it means son of a hero or like a hero. So right from the start, there were some high expectations or possibly too much pressure. 
And there are a few Herods that we meet in the gospel stories. And this Herod who appears at the beginning of the Christmas story becomes known as Herod the Great. So suddenly the stakes are higher. The son of a great hero, like a great hero. And, and Herod's family have converted to Judaism a few generations before. So although he's king of Judea, a Jewish province, he was never really accepted by the Jews. He was never really Jewish enough for the Jews. And then we see his, his rise to the throne is contested. It comes by questionable means. His family, they worm their way into the good books of the powers that be, whatever it takes. They change their allegiance to gain more power. Herod, he lays, lays siege to Jerusalem and he marries to integrate into a powerful dynasty. So you could say that his right to the throne is contested. So here we find Herod. Herod is, is insecure in his identity. He's not Jewish enough for his Jewish people. He's insecure in his authority. He becomes so paranoid that someone in his family is going to try and rob the throne from him, that he orders the execution of his wife, his mother-in-law, it's pretty extreme, and later his two sons. It's almost as if Herod is approaching life like a game of musical chairs. You know, when I was a child... You could, when you went to a, a birthday party, you could guarantee you were going to play one of the three musicals, and maybe more than one. So musical bumps, if anyone remembers playing, where as soon as the music stops, you have to sit down, and the last kid to hit the deck is out. And then musical statues, where of course when the music stops, you've got to freeze, and anyone caught moving is out. I've since realized as a parent, this is a horrible game to run. To look a five-year-old child in the eyes who isn't even breathing because they don't want to be caught out and say, you're out, is horrible. But then there was musical chairs. I haven't seen it around so much in recent years because I think it's a bit of a health and safety hazard. But you'd have a circle of chairs and the people will walk, skip, dance, run around the circle. And when the music stops, you've got to sit down on a chair. The only problem being there are more people than chairs. So there's a moment where you spot your chair and you run. And sometimes someone else has spotted the same chair and they are running too. And so it's either a race of speed or you get there at the same time. And so it's a battle of the buttocks. Who's got the strongest thighs to shove that other person off the chair before the parent sees what you're doing? It's almost as if Herod is going through life, treating it like a game of musical chairs, keeping his eye on the throne, looking out to see who's the threat, who's got their eye on his throne, who's going to race him to it and try and wrestle him off it. There is this incredible insecurity in this man with such power. And it's in that context that Herod, the villain of the Christmas story, hears from the Magi that a baby's been born. 
And he's called King of the Jews. This presses his buttons. He's called King of the Jews. And of course, this is a phrase that we'll hear again in the Gospels. This is a phrase we'll hear again in the life of Jesus, right at the end of Jesus' life when he's on trial. Pilate will say, are you the King of the Jews? The people will stand as he's crucified and they'll mock and they'll shout, oh, hail the King of the Jews. This is a phrase that we'll see again, the written charge, the, the charge held against him that is written and displayed above his crucified body will ironically read, the King of the Jews. And then there'll be people in the crowd who will call out and they'll shout out, if you are the King of the Jews, then save yourself. But he doesn't because he isn't. He doesn't save himself, although he could, because he isn't just the king of the Jews. He's the king of all. He is the world's true king. He's the king of all kings. He's the king over all creation. He's the king who is everlasting. He's the eternally victorious king. He's the world's true king. And that's the message of the Christmas story. And that's the message of the Bible story. And that's the message of all of history that Jesus is the world's true king. And this, this Christmas so far, this Christmas season at Life Church, we've considered as we're looking through the, the narrative of Matthew, Matthew's gospel account of the Christmas story, we've considered that Jesus is our promised saviour. And we've considered that Jesus is our faithful friend. And today I want us to reflect on the wonderful reality that Jesus is our humble king. Because unlike Herod... Jesus understands his identity and his authority. And he walks it out with captivating humility. Unlike Herod, unsure really of his identity, am I, am I Jewish enough for these people? Insecure about his authority, who's threatening me for my throne? Jesus understands his identity and his authority. And he walks it out with captivating humility. And that's what we're going to consider for a few moments together because we see this throughout the life of Jesus recorded for us in the Gospels. We see it illustrated on the night before Jesus is crucified when Jesus is sharing a meal with his friends and his followers. We read in John 13 verse 3, Jesus knew he understands his identity and his authority. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God, and so. Jesus understands that he is from the Father, that he's returning to the Father, that he is God himself in human form, that all power and all authority has been entrusted to him, and so. The next thing that he's about to do is going to display that. It's a statement of who he is, of his identity and his authority, that he's the king over all creation, that all authority and power in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been entrusted to him. 
And so the very thing he's about to do is a statement and a declaration of that. I wonder what we would do. What might you have done? Demanded everyone bow down and bring you mint choc chip ice cream. I think that's just my affection for mint choc chip ice cream talking. But what would make the statement that he is the king of all creation? That all authority and power belongs to him. This is what it says. John 13 verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. He goes on to say, after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I wonder what it would have been like that night to see the master, the king of the universe, dressed like a servant. See, this was someone else's job. But here we have the king of all creation, the king of the universe, the king of all time, the king of all kings. And what he does to display his ultimate kingship is he picks up a towel and he wraps it around his waist and then he kneels and into his hands he takes the dirty, dusty, calloused feet of these young men. And one by one, he begins to wash them. He begins to cleanse them. Bearing in mind, this is an age where the pavements weren't tarmacked. This is in an age where there wasn't a good waste disposal system that you could just flush in your houses. This is in an age where the animals would have used the streets for their toilets. This is in an age where people would have worn, worn sandaled feet. Are you building a picture? Can you see it? Can you smell it? But he takes the king of the universe, takes into his hands the dirty, the dusty, the calloused feet of his followers. And as he picks up the water, one by one, he cleanses them. And when he gets around the circle to Judas, he doesn't pass by. The one who he knows is going to betray him is going to hand him over to the torture and the horror and the humiliation of the cross. Yet he still takes into his hands the feet that will walk up to him and betray him with a kiss in a matter of hours. You know, and I wonder if we were there that night, what would we begin to see? You know, as, as, he, as he has this towel wrapped around him and as he, as he wipes the, dries the feet with the towel that's still wrapped around him, I wonder if the towel would start to have some marks on it. I wonder if we'd start to see some, some muck and some dirt on the towel. You know, as the water becomes dirtier and dirtier, like when you're washing up, I wonder if, as, as he's drying the feet, whether we'd begin to see some stains, some of their dirt transferred onto Jesus as he wears the towel and as he walks around the circle and washes the feet. 
I wonder if we'll begin to see him taking their dirt upon him. I wonder if we'll begin to see this prophetic image of what is to come the very next day. When Jesus himself hangs on a cross for the sins and the dirt of all mankind. Because scripture tells us, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He took our sins in his body on the cross. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. This was someone else's job. And yet our king, our master, takes on the appearance and the actions of the servant. Because he's our humble king. That is incredible, isn't it? He is our humble king and he walks in his authority and his identity with captivating humility. You know, later on, after the resurrection, Jesus says these words. We see again that he understands the authority that's been given to him. Then Jesus came to them, this is the disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Just in case we were ever in any doubt about what he understood. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. His very next words before he leaves his disciples, he says, therefore, leave it all to me. Therefore, I've got this, fellas. No. He says, therefore, go. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He understands that all authority is his and so he shares it with us. Isn't that incredible that he shares it with us? He commissions us to go in his authority. I just think that is incredible. And that's the wonder of our humble king, that he shares his identity and his authority with us. Yes, he understands who he is, but he shares who he is with us. We see this in Galatians 3.26. It tells us, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That through faith, because of Christ Jesus, we can become children of God. That he shares his identity with us. That because of the Son of God, we can become children of God. And we can be welcomed into this family. Because there is a place for you in this family. It's like a family that gathers around one of those never-ending tables. You know, those tables that's always got another flap to pull out or another bit to extend. There's There's never a limit to who can eat at this table in the family of God. It's a place where we can find love and acceptance, where we can belong, where we can become all that God has created us to be because Jesus shares his identity with us. So we can be called children of God. You know, perhaps there's some of us here today that need to recognize what's already been given to us. Perhaps there's some of us here today that need to recognize and take hold of what has already been given to us because Jesus shares his identity and authority with us. There's a a famous story that Jesus tells about a son who leaves home, who rejects his father and who wastes his inheritance. And a little while later, he comes home with his tail between his legs, not sure of the response he's going to be met with. And he's met with 
shocking grace. He's met with this incredible forgiveness. He's met with open arms. This story is known as the prodigal of the story of the prodigal son, and we reflected on it at Easter at the homecoming this year. It's the story of the prodigal son. But when the older son, who never left home, never rejected his father, never wasted his inheritance, when he sees the response of the father to the reckless son, he's angry. And he doesn't join in the celebrations. This instead is what he says. Look, these many years I have served you, he says to the father, who represents the heart of God in this story. And I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And the father said, and this may be what some of us need to take hold of today. The father said, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. You're always with me. You're in this family and all that I have is yours. The goats, you could have had the goats. The fattened calf, you could have had the fattened calf because all that I have is yours. Of course, this is just a metaphor for the vegetarians and vegans. Just a metaphor, don't worry. We're not going to force you. But the, the, the character that represents the heart of God says, all that I have is yours. It's already yours if you would just accept it. Because Jesus shares his identity and his authority with us. Unlike Herod, who, who lives in fear that, that someone will come and steal his throne, Jesus willingly shares his throne with us. The Bible describes us as co-heirs with Christ, and it doesn't make him any less king. And if we're ever tempted to take that idea and allow it to become, for us to become proud or self-seeking, to use it for our own advantage, then let's look again at our humble king, the one from whom our identity and our authority comes from, our humble king who was born into poverty, who touched the leper, who honored the prostitute, who washed the feet and who hangs on the cross because Jesus is our humble king. If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at lifelanks on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our neighbours, our nation and the nations with the good news about Jesus.